going to go ahead and look at our passage for today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life, seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's go ahead and pray and ask him to do that for us now. Father, we are gathered here in your presence to worship you, our living hope, our living God. And Lord, we need you to do what this passage says um, that you do. Give understanding. As we look at the Bible, Lord, we believe that it's all true, that it's real, that it is the breath uh, from your mouth. And I pray that these words that I speak, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth would accomplish the purpose for which you send them, Lord, and they would bear fruit, as this passage mentions, and we need your grace for that to happen. Help us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are new with us this morning, we are in a series of sermons uh, on the book of 2 Timothy uh, in the Bible, and we've titled this series, uh, Vintage, Season Words to the Church. All right, and the reason is... Um, the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote this book, was one of the leaders of the early church. He had about 30 years in as a pastor at this point, as a missionary, as a church planner, and found himself uh, in jail uh, simply for doing what we're doing here this morning, for being a Christian and for telling people about Jesus. He was on trial before Emperor Nero, and uh, he was going to die. He was on death row. And uh, while he was in jail, at his worst moment, a bunch of men, prominent men in the church, abandoned the Apostle Paul. We saw that last week. He said, all who are in Asia deserted me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. These dudes abandoned me. They deserted me. They didn't stand with me in my time of need. So they were nowhere to be found. They were not faithful to Paul. They weren't faithful to the church. They weren't faithful to Jesus as a result. And we find ourselves in a very similar place as a culture in America, and as a society, all right, and even in our community. So, we're going to talk about faithful men here today. Is it okay if we talk about this? All right, okay, cool. We've got a couple ladies who think it's okay for us to talk about faithful men. All right, we're off to a good start already. Um, so, I'd like to begin with this question right here. Where are the faithful men? Now, let me just say right out the gate, we have a bunch of faithful men who are part of this church, and I thank God for each and every single one of you. And I'm not just saying that in a pandering, political type way. We have a bunch of faithful men who are part of this church. So this sermon uh, is not meant to be a rebuke, right? Don't hear that from me. This is just what the next text that we come to. Paul says, hey, find some faithful dudes and raise them up to teach other people. This is, this is the next passage that we got. So we got to talk about it. Um, so we ought to receive this this morning as a word of encouragement and in a word of challenge. I don't know about you, but I want to be a faithful man. I, I want to grow in faithfulness to God. All right? 
but we need to know what time it is in our world today. We need to know what time it is in our culture uh, and in our community. Um, many of you guys know I, I work for the county uh, in substance abuse. I work as a case manager. And um, one of the groups that, uh, that we have up there that we lead is, is, is men in recovery. What does it mean to be a man? Right? And, and talk, I have the privilege to sit down with a group of men and just talk about what does it mean to be a man? Right? And, and talking about the, the, the crisis of faithlessness uh, of men in, in our society and in, in our culture. And, and it, you know, men aren't given a vision of what it means to be a man in our world today. So after like several months of like a new group of these guys, eventually they, they open up and they let their guard down and we start talking about like there ain't no place to do what we're doing right now. There, there's no one talking about this right now about this crisis that, that we're talking about in this room, about the crisis of, of, of men in, in our culture. Um, listen, we got all kinds of ways for men to waste their lives and their time playing video games and um, playing silly sports that don't really mean anything, TV, and so on and so forth, and just wasting our time and wasting our lives. We got all kinds of legal drugs out there. Men are legally prescribed these drugs. We got all kinds of illegal drugs, right, for, uh, to dope men up, to sideline them and distract them and to numb them and to blur their vision uh, uh, of what God is calling them to in life, right? And this is, then there's just the reality of where men are at in our society. I want to share just a snippet of this. I'm just going to share a snippet because if I share too much, we all walk out depressed. Right? We got good news uh, for uh, the men today. There is a study that showed that grip strength, this right here, the ability to grip something, grip strength among college men has declined so much that now matched that of older millennial women. Right? So in other words, men are getting weaker. Or my wife could, men are getting, she could put them in a headlock, punch them on top of the head, knock them out, right? And uh, the, the men are getting weaker literally in our culture. Their, their strength. Uh, among teenage men, since 1976, there's been a 20 to 30% drop in the average age of getting your driver's license, asking a girl out on a date, your first job. In other words, men are, are not maturing in our culture. Birth rates and marriage rates are declining. The average age for those who get married continues to rise up into the 40s. Right? This used to be in the 20, early 20s in our culture. In other words, men are prolonging boyhood. Since 1965, there's been a 500% increase in able-bodied men who are, who are not working and not even trying to find a job. 500% increase. It's like, it's like during the Great Depression, we have more men out of work right now than during the Great Depression. That is a tragedy in the making. One out of every four searches on the internet are pornography, one out of every four. 68% of church-going men, and more, check this out, more than 50% of people who claim to be pastors regularly view porn. These are, these are Christian, Christian. Young Christian men, 18 to 24-year-olds, 76% of them active, actively search for porn. Right? And this is... This is this is horrific. Um, and listen, we have a ton of good dudes out here in our community. 
I praise God for I thank God for that. We have a ton of, of good men in our community, great men, but here's the question. Where are they this morning? And what are they doing with their lives? Are they coming into a, a church building to worship the God who created them, the God who made them to be a man, a God who made them and gave them a specific task in the world? Is that what they're doing? Or are they out piddling around, tinkering, playing games? All right, enough of that. What is a faithful man? What is a faithful man? Uh, I, I watched an interview uh, with a psychologist and a senator recently. Actually, we watched this uh, in one of our men in recovery groups. And the senator was talking about this book that he wrote about manhood. And the psychologist uh, was interviewing um, the, the senator about, about this book. And this is what he said. This is what he said. He said he got his understanding of what it means to be a man from Genesis chapter 1, I thought. Good job, Senator. All right, you're, you're on the right path. And he said, and this, this is some of the things they said. He said, what has this story opened up to us about what a man is supposed to be? What did God call Adam to do? Well, he calls Adam to help him finish the world. I love that. It might be the best description I've ever heard about. In Genesis 1 and 2, he called Adam to help him finish the world, to perfect the world. In Genesis 1 and 2, this is what most, a lot of theologians think Genesis 1 and 2 uh, the garden is a temple. It's a temple paradise where God is dwelling with man and has a communion with him and has assigned him a task in the world to make the rest of the world a temple. This is not fairy tales. This is, this is our calling as men. To expand the garden, to take the garden and to expand its borders into all the world where God is known and glorified and beautified and uh, loved and served. And then these guys stepped back, the senator and the psychologist said, that's a high calling. Wouldn't you agree? Your job is to make the world a temple for God to dwell in and to take dominion over it, right? To take the chaos and the disorder out of it and make something beautiful, make something good out of it. Here's what they said. A man can make a difference in life. You can make a difference. Listen to this. The world will not be what it could be without you. The world will not be what it could be without you. If you're faithful to the call of God, to the task that he's assigned to you, listen, there are things that can, that can be done in the world that will not be done without you. Only you can do them. No one else can do them. Only you can do them. God wants you to do them. If you don't do them, if you're not faithful, they won't happen. So, your family, your kids, your spouse, your community, your country, and the world are counting on you as a man. This is no little task, right? Here's what this means. Everything you do matters way more than you think, even if it's something little. Everything that you do as a man matters way more than you, than you think. So, I don't know about you, but that's a vision I can give my life to. When I heard these, 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 the senator and the psychologist, so I said, yeah, that's what it's about. I'm not here with no purpose. I've got something to do. God has something for me to do. He's got a mission and a purpose for me. Only I can do it. And listen, we want to be faithful men. Amen? We want to be faithful men. 
So what does it mean to be a faithful man? Paul gives us three images of faithfulness here in this passage. And the first is that of a soldier. Look, verse uh, 3 through 4, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian concerns of civilian life. And he seeks to please the commanding officer. Uh, my brother recently retired from the Air Force. He got a job as a civilian, but his bosses are former colonels in the Air Force. And uh, they still think they're colonels in the Air Force. And they treat my brother like that. Now, if you know my brother, my, brother, my brother's not like me. He has no filter. And you may think, Ricky don't have a filter. My brother has no filter. And he speaks his mind, right? And he has to remind these, these bosses of his, they ain't colonels no more, and he ain't enlisted anymore, right? But when he was enlisted in the Air Force, he sought to do everything his commanding officers called him to do. Right? And that's what Paul's getting at here. A faithful man is someone who's enlisted with Jesus and is seeking to do everything Jesus, our commanding officer, tells us to do. Right? We listen to him. Sir, yes, sir, I am here to do whatever it is that I'm enlisted to do. So let me ask you a question. Is that you here this morning? Is that you? I said, you here this morning, patient work uh, on the building, and one of the guys uh, was retired uh, from the Army, and he had spent decades uh, at doing recon, leading men into battle. And uh, he said, he, this is what he said about that, I, I would do it all over again. I would do it all over again, right? Here, here's the deal. He loved it, right? He loved being a soldier and being a leader and, and leading men uh, into battle. And right, see, that ought to be our hearts as men. Right, that ought to be our hearts. We ought to want to be faithful soldiers of Christ. This is, this is no little task or no weak little thing. What, are you kidding me? Tell me something that's bigger and, more, and greater than uh, what Jesus calls a man to do. There ain't none. 2 Timothy 2.4 no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So what does that mean? What does that mean no one gets in, entangled in civilian concerns? Here, here's what it does not mean, which a lot of Christians think this is what it means. Only do spiritual stuff. Only do Christian stuff, right? Listen to Christian music, read your Bible, pray. Don't ever take the trash out. Don't change the diapers. I don't know. Just do spiritual stuff. Right? They're like super spiritual people. They're not like earthy people. That I don't know. So here's what it actually means. He is saying don't go AWOL. Don't be absent uh, without leave as a Christian or as a man. Stay in the fight. Let me ask you a question. Are you even in the fight? Are you in the fight? If not, here's what you got to do. Step one, you need to enlist with Jesus right now. Here's how you do that. You need to know that Jesus was real. He lived a perfect life for you. He died for you on the cross. He was buried in the grave. And that man, that man walked out that grave. Said, here I am, y'all. De the death couldn't, death couldn't take me. Right? I put it in a chokehold, choked the thing out, and there it is. I'm victorious over it all. And he rose from the dead, and he's going to return again one day. And he's your Lord. 
Sign up today. Sign up right now. Give your life to him. Give your heart to him. Number two is get in the fight. You got to get in the fight. And here's how you do that. All these faithful soldiers up in here, you just hang out with them. Whatever they're doing, you're, that's what, isn't that how you learn how to be a soldier? You, you come into boot camp, you don't know what in the world's going on. You, you try to find someone who looks like they know what the world they're doing. Right? We got some faithful guys up in here. I already said it. Soldiers for Christ. You just hang, you do what they're doing. When they show up, you show up. What they do, you do. That's how you do it. The second image is that of an athlete. 2 Timothy 2.5 Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So the focus here on this image is that as an athlete, there are rules you must follow. Right? And I apologize for this right out the gate. Bengals fans know this all too well. Because I, it's the first football game I watched this year, um, this past Sunday, it was the, the, the uh, division playoffs. And the Bengals were playing the Chiefs down uh, toward the end of the game. Uh, a Bengals player, as Patrick Mahomes was going, out of bounds, shoved him in the back. Right? And he received a late hit penalty, which cost the team in that moment. So he broke the rules. He broke the rules. So what's the message for us? And listen, this is really complicated. Keep the rules. Obey God. That's, that's it, right? It's not complicated. Do what he says. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 35, puts it like this. All of Psalm 119 is about the beauty of God's commands, his rules, his statutes, his ordinances, the Bible. Look what he says. God, help me. Help me to stay on the path of your commands. Look at this. For I take pleasure in it. I take pleasure in it. Let me ask you a question. Is that your heart, man? God, help me to obey you. And because, God, I, I, I want to. I take pleasure in it. This is, what, this is what I want to do. Listen, that's the heart of a faithful man. That's the heart of every Christian. Right? Because the heart of every Christian is, is someone who has the Spirit of God. Right? And what happens when you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God gives you the ability to trust in Jesus, and he gets deep down in your heart, and he starts a renovation project to where before... You didn't care about Jesus. You didn't care about the Bible. You didn't care about obeying him. But now you have a want to. And you want to do it. Right? You take pleasure in keeping the rules. Um, me and the girls, we watched uh, Rocky last week. All right, what a great movie. Uh, Rocky. And uh, the first one. And Rocky was getting ready to fight uh, Apollo Creed. And um, he's talking with Adrian. And they have an intimate moment. He says, man, I, I just want to go the distance. I just want to go the distance because then, then I'll know that I'm not just some other, just another bum from the neighborhood. All right? And listen, there's a reason that that movie is, is still popular because that speaks to the heart of a man. Does anybody want to be a bum up in here? Anybody want to be unfaithful? Just, just, just end your, go through your life and end your life and stand before God. And he says... Sorry, you've been unfaithful. No. Something deep without, inside you says, I want to go the distance. Right? I want to be faithful until the end. That, that, I just want you to know, that is my heart as a pastor. I would rather die the most horrible death than be unfaithful to God. 
That's my heart. That'll be your heart, too, is you want to go the distance, right? And the only way to go the distance is to keep the rules, right? To seek to keep all of God's rules so far as you can help it. Listen, I know that we screw up and we blow it, but it's so far, your heart, what does your heart want to do? Do you want to do it? Right? That's what this passage is talking about. Look at verse 5 again. If anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned. Look at that. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And listen, our culture says men are bums because they're men. That's what the world says. The world, the world doesn't know what to do with you guys. It doesn't know who you are. It doesn't know what a woman is. It doesn't know what a human being is. Right? Feminism says that you're the problem, man. Not this passage, not God, not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. This passage says there is a crown waiting for you if you are faithful. That when Jesus returns, he's got a crown, he's going to put it on your head. He says, these are my guys right here, these faithful men, and they suffered for me. They did what they were supposed to do. They were faithful to the end, and I'm going to crown them, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Um, one of the kids in a community group gave me a little drawing that they did this past week at group. And it was super cool. It was this guy with a robe, right? Long robe. And, and he had a crown on his head. And I asked him, I said, who is that? He said, Jesus. And then his mom said, well, earlier he said it was Ricky. He got super <laughs> spiritual when I asked him about it, right? Right? Either way, Jesus has got a crown. I'm going to have one. I'm going to have one one day. I, I, want to, I want to have one. Don't you? Don't you want to please the commanding officer? And isn't that why we have these silly games? Sorry. I know it's disrespectful. Super Bowl. What are they playing for? Get the ring. Get the trophy. It's just a game. We're talking about... We're talking about the, the heart of reality here. This is what Paul said was waiting for him as he was for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all the, the, all the other faithful men as well. See that? All who have loved his appearing. The third image of a faithful man that we see here is a farmer. Look what it says in verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Now, if you've done any type of work, farm work, you know it's difficult work. Baling hay, taking care of animals, fixing fences, building barns, whatever it is. It ain't easy. Being a faithful man is like that. It is hard work. It requires effort and energy and labor, toil, in agony. Uh, there's a guy down the road uh, from us that has an amazing garden. I'm talking, like, you, you don't believe me. You have to see it, right? There's not a single weed in his garden. I'm not talking about just now in the wintertime. I'm talking about in the summertime. Literally, no weeds. It's immaculate. All the rows are perfect, you know. Um, he's an expert, and I know his uh, daughter-in-law, and this dude's ready for the zombie apocalypse. So if it ever goes down, that's where I'm headed to. He's stored up with canned uh, vegetables and stuff for, for years. But you know what? Uh, you know what I know? That didn't just happen. It took hard work. It took a lot of time. Being a faithful... So let me give you one example. 
one area of our lives as men. Being a faithful man means hard work at work. Hard work at work. Look at, look at Genesis. Uh, men were created for work. Men were created for work. Look at Genesis uh, 2.15. The Lord God took the man, placed him in the Garden of Eden, look at this, to work it and to watch over it. The same goes for us. Work was given to man prior to the fall of man in sin. So God thought it was a good thing. Work is not a curse. Work is a wonderful blessing, as we've already laid out. It's a wonderful uh, blessing that God has given to us. And this doesn't mean that work is easy. We live in a world that's under the curse of sin and the fall. It doesn't matter what job that you have. If it's mental, like if you come up to me, like I don't have callous hands. Right? But I got a callous mind and, 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 and broken heart in a lot of ways because of the type of work that I do. All right? But you may have callous. All our work, no matter, no matter what it is, is hard, hard to do in this world. Right, our work breaks us down sometimes, but here's the deal. We ought to, be, we ought to work as faithful men. That, that's, that's the deal. So this means we ought to be thankful for the work that God has given us and never complain. We ought to be thankful for our jobs, thankful for whatever work it is, and never complain about it, because this is just basic Christian living. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, he says, we're not to grumble, we're not to complain. Because this is the task that God has given to us, and let us do it uh, with a heart of gratitude. All right, this means that we should not be working for the weekend, so that we can be lazy and sin. Which the Bible says clearly, laziness is sin. He says, hey, go watch that ant for a little bit and stop being lazy. Look how hard that ant works. You're a man. Be better than the ant. Or at least learn a lesson from him. Um, and we should not be working for the weekend. Uh, sandwiched up in the uh, Ten Commandments is this verse. You are to labor six days, not the weekend, and do all your work. So the principle that we draw out of that is God's design. God's intention for work as a man is six days, not five. Six days. Six days on, one day off. Um, I saw this headline recently, and people are always pushing for this, but Maryland bill would subsidize employees that try, employers that try a four-day work week. So the idea is that in Maryland, they want to tax working class folks. They want to take their money away from them, steal it, give it to folks who are upper middle class, and these companies give them tax breaks so that they can be lazy and break God's commands. Or they can just move to West Virginia. Yeah, they can just move to West Virginia. That's what a lot of people do. They just move here to West Virginia. Uh, but we love Maryland, and we want those guys to be faithful too. It doesn't, matter. it doesn't matter if your employer gives you four days off. You still work six. Find something to do on the other days for the glory, uh, glory of God. Um, um, listen, even if you're retired in here, even if you're retired God still has work for you to do as a man, right? God, God still wants you to work six on and, and, and one off. He has work for you. It may look different, right? You may not be employed with your employer, but he still has work for you to do, right? There's all kinds of work that we can do. Um, during um, the, whenever COVID-19 ended, the 
the pandemic, so to speak, we learned about the difference between essential and non-essential work, didn't we? And here's what we learned about that. That's baloney. That is a bunch of baloney. What we've learned is that there's no non-essential workers. And when you start tampering with any of that, you got, you're going to have a situation on your hands. You're going to have a problem because all of our work, unless it is explicitly sinful, is good work given to us by God. It has a purpose. Um, on Thursday, uh, this past week, I learned that my sewer line collapsed. So I had some glorious work to do on Thursday. I had to call in to my job and I had to do that work, right? Which meant me being down in a hole and getting stuff all over me that I did not uh, really want to have on myself that day, right? But I did. It was the work that God had for me. So I called up, uh, while I was down there, I called uh, Beto's septic up, and I thought, well, we better get this. They went ahead and pumped it, check, make sure it doesn't need to be pumped. So rather than digging it up twice, they went ahead and pumped it, and while they were there, I was expressing my gratitude for them. Because right, they're the only, um, the only folks in Morgan County that do that. And I said, can you imagine, can you imagine, right, if you guys wanted to pump your septic out here, and this is a problem. This is a, like a health hazard, right? Can you imagine if Beto's were like, ah, I'm going to go with the four-day work week. Those other three days when people got, I'll, they'll be okay for three days when it's backing up into their, their house and everything. They'll figure it out, right? Um, just ridiculous, right? God has given us all kinds of glorious work to do, work that blesses people. That, that's what it is. Whatever blesses your family, your community, right, our society, that's work. I don't care how small it is. So we want to do all this work to the glory. Okay, but this, now, I know we are talking about faithful men, okay, but this passage that we're looking at is explicitly addressed to pastors, right? We're drawing out application for everybody, but it's specifically about pastors. Now, I want to show you this. That's the context, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. All right, Timothy, Paul's writing to him. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able, look here, to teach others also. So when Paul says they got to be able to teach in the context of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, these are called the pastoral letters of the, of the, of the New Testament, the Bible. When he says ability to teach, he's talking about pastors. And I'll show you this. If you just go down just a couple verses down to verse 24 in chapter 2, this is what it says. All right, so he's, he's writing to Timothy, this pastor again. The Lord's servant. There it is. All right, Timothy, you as a pastor, you must not quarrel. That's fighting with people. But you must be gentle to everyone. Right here. Able to teach and patient. All right, so this passage lays out a process for becoming a pastor. Right, it lays out a strategy for pastors to train up and to raise up other faithful men who will be pastors in the local church. So let's look at it again. In verse 2, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. All right, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men. These guys are going to be pastors who will be able to teach others also. So what's the process? What is the, the process that Paul says, all right, this is what I want you to do, Timothy. This is how you do it. How do you raise up pastors? Or how do you become a pastor? Well, the first thing is being a faithful man. 
Don't you see that here? Look, let's look at it again. Commit to faithful men. So step one is you have to continue to grow and to develop as a faithful man. In other words, doing everything we just talked about, plus, plus some, right? Second is having the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and all of its implications for life committed to you. You see that? Commit to faithful men. What you heard from me. Right? He says, commit it to them. Uh, my neighbor, uh, when I was digging up my sewer line, he uh, let me borrow his, his tractor. So, this very expensive piece of equipment, he entrusted to my care. Right? And that's a lot of faith. Right? That's a lot of trust. He entrusted it uh, to my care. And that's what, that's what Paul is getting at here. Right? Timothy, you've been around me for years. You've heard me teach. You've heard me preach. You know what I'm about. You know what the Bible's about. You know how I talk about Jesus and how this makes us faithful men. And you know about the church. You know about doctrine. All that stuff that you heard me say, I want you to take that and I want you to give it to men who are faithful so that they also can teach other people. But it's not only that. You don't just learn by hearing stuff taught. You learn by watching. You learn by being apprenticed. Uh, one of the guys who came down from North Carolina um, was a contractor. And uh, I asked him to show me how to use floor leveler. Right? So he walked me through step by step. This is how you do it. Right? And I watched him do it. Right? He told me how to do it. And then I watched him. He, I apprenticed uh, underneath of him. And that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, look at 2 Timothy 3.10. He's talking to Timothy again. But you have followed my teaching. So he heard Paul teach sound doctrine. But look at this. He also followed his conduct, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, and his endurance. See, this is the process for becoming a pastor. Right, let me just say it again. Uh, here, here's what it is. It's being a faithful man who is trained by faithful pastors. That is, that is the biblical process uh, for uh, becoming a pastor. And listen, that's what we want to be committed to here as a church. That is discipling, training up faithful men right, who are uh, com committed to gospel uh, by, by faithful pastors. Right? And this is something that we need to ask God to do. We need to pray. You need to pray about this as a church. You need to pray to God. Raise, these, raise, raise someone up. Raise, raise men up to be faithful. Raise them up to be, uh, be pastors. God, send them from somewhere. Send them from outside. I don't know where they're going to come from. Send them. Right, this is, we got to pray for this. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, man, I look out. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out, listen to this, laborers laborers into the harvest that's what we need to pray uh, as a church and work towards and and maybe you're here and, and this is speaking to you deep in your heart and you and you're saying that sounds terrifying to me but i want to do that i want to be a pastor right? we, we have a process we will help train you uh to become a pastor here all right that is our commitment uh, as a church my commitment to you God gifts the church, we will train them. We will do, this is, this is what the Bible says we are supposed to be doing. 
All right, lastly, how can you be a faithful man? Look at verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So how can you be a faithful man? Paul gives us one thing, grace. That's all you need. All you need to be a faithful man is Jesus. That's what he says here. Let's go back to what we said at the beginning. All right, we said that, that God created men to work with him to make the rest of the world his temple. That is to finish what he started. And that is, that is the church, by the way. The church is the new creation where God is starting over in the world. Right? And expanding it all throughout the world. We're called to expand the garden, to make the world beautiful, to make the world what it could be. And that is a high calling. And that is your calling. This is what your Creator designed you to do. But here's the deal. We all fall. All of us men fall. We, we have areas of in our lives that, uh, of unfaithfulness. But this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came into the world. See, Jesus is the second Adam, the Bible says. The first Adam blew it. He fell. And you know what? All of us in him, all of us men and women, fell in, in Adam. But God sent the second Adam, Jesus, and he's the man. He's the only truly faithful man and he was faithful for you to the point of death, even death on the cross. He died for all of your mistakes. He died for your past. He died for your shame and your guilt so that you uh, could be forgiven of all of that. Here's the good news. Uh, here's the grace that is in Jesus. If we believe in him, we are forgiven of it all. Our past is erased. Not only that, Jesus died to adopt so that you would be adopted by God and become God's son. Have God as your father. That is incredible. Not only that, Jesus Christ died so that he could send the Spirit of God to come to live within you. Right? To restore your dignity as a man. To take you back to the garden and say, listen, that's all over now. Right? That's been forgiven. Now it's time to be faithful because I'm at work in your life. I'm renovating your life now. I, I'm restoring you to be the man that you were always meant to be. Uh, I was reading Matthew Henry's uh, commentary on 2 Timothy. There is grace enough in him for all of us. Amen. Listen, listen. There, the, the grace of God in Jesus never runs out. Matter of fact, the grace of God, we're going to sing about it here in a minute, comes after you as a man to restore you, to build you up, to heal you. You see, we are fallen men, we are broken men, sinful men, but God sent a man, the man Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to save us, to make us into faithful men. All right, listen, when we trust Him, when we look to that man, our commanding officer, Jesus, who went out on the front line for us and bled for us so that we might get the victory. When we look to him, you know what happens? We get strong. Isn't that what this passage says? That's what it said in verse 1. Be strong, you, God's son. You be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. So when we look to Jesus, you know what happens? We get the strength to be faithful men. 
That's how it happens. We look to Jesus. Right? Jesus didn't just die to forgive you and take you to heaven. That's baloney. That's crazy. It's true. But it's more than that. He died to make you a faithful man. He, listen how good this is. He died to make you the person that you were, you were created to be. This is the gospel. It's a new creation. That's what it means. And he does this free of cost. That's what grace is. Grace is, grace is not you trying harder. Grace is not you being a better person. Grace is not, hey, man up. It's not that. You know, grace is, look at what I did for you as a man. When you couldn't say, lift a finger to save yourself, I did it. He did it at the cross. These images of what it looks like to be a faithful man are sandwiched in between the grace of God. Verse 1 says, you be strong in this grace. It's in Jesus. And then look at verse 7. Here's the other slice of bread. Verse 7. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You see that? The Lord will give it to you. He'll help you. Right? So, men, these words were written by a dying man to you men. They are seasoned with his blood. These are serious words. But these are, wor these are also words uh, of the Spirit of the living God. So, will you consider them? Will you consider them? That's what this passage calls us to do. Consider what I say. Will you consider these? Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I've tried this, Ricky. I've tried over and over again, and I fail over and over and over again. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm giving up on this. I'm giving up on, I just hope that there's a spot for me in heaven. Here, here's what this passage says to you. Stop looking at yourself. As a matter of fact, your sins aren't big enough. You don't, you don't know the depth of your sin and the depth of your failures. Here's the deal. There is way more grace in God and in Jesus than there is sin in you. Look away from yourself. and You want to know how much God loves you? He sent Jesus. He loves us, men. Right? We need to look to him. We need to look to him. Here's the grace. Here's the grace that he offers us. He will help you understand. You see that in our passage? He will give you understanding. Right? And that's what we want to ask him to do now.